Welcome to it, welcome to it. It is a little after 3 o'clock on a Monday afternoon, so you guys know what time it is. It is time for Talk That Talk. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. And of course, I feel like we can say of course now. I feel like this is this is pretty much the... These are the usual faces that you guys are going to get for the Talk That Talk radio show. But my guy, Matt, Matthew Raftery, is sitting right to my left. My guy, Matt, I, I feel like I know what we're going to talk about for the first hour. But you let me know if something kind of comes up in the in in the meantime. I truthfully feel that <laughs> obviously, guys. In case you were you were hiding under a rock, uh, we're talking about the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> and you know what's so funny about that? I, I like the joke. I feel like there are times when we can point to Super Bowls and say, "Yeah." I guess we'll get to that at some point. Like, the game itself, it seems like everything that surrounds it, oh, of course we have to talk about that first, but sometimes the game, it, it, it doesn't live up to it. And this particular time, I felt like it did in every aspect. So we're going to get to that, and I feel like we're going to spend our time on that. But before we do any of that, happy Valentine's Day to you and yours. Um, <laughs> I feel like I didn't let it breathe long enough, but... Is it Valentine's Day or Valentine Day? I think it's Valentine's Day. Hmm. It feels weird saying Valentine Day. Social media is just weird. Yeah. <laughs> just as a whole. Just social media is weird. And <laughs> yeah, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that for multiple reasons. Did my mom send me one today? She did. She actually sent me a lot. And I like all of these. A couple of these I felt like could be read together, but I like this one as a standalone since we have so much to get to. Let's go ahead and get to this one. Um, people who wonder if the glass is half empty or half full missed the point. The glass is refillable. <laughs> I'll read that one more time. The tip in for today is actually for my mom is people who wonder if the glass is half empty or half full missed the point. The glass is refillable. I like that. I like that. And I feel like that kind of goes back to uh, my percentage kind of analogy when I said you determine how much of you something gets. If something got to you, that's fine. Feel the emotion, the emotions for the moment. But remember, whatever energy you spend on it for that day, you don't get that back until the next day. So I, I, I feel like similar to my mom's tip in. Kind of need to kind of need to hit a reset button. Kind of need to hit a, re a recharge button, I should say. And speaking of that, I haven't been back home in in a little bit, and that's what I always consider my my reset button. So I feel like that's a perfect segue since I'm talking about home being Inglewood, California, being that section, being Los Angeles County. Now I think that's a good time to get into the Super Bowl. So I tried to do it. I tried to do it the right way too, but you guys let me know how that 
segue was. But first of all, I actually do want to start there. In all seriousness, um, I wasn't out there, obviously, but from the outside looking in, congratulations to the city of Inglewood as a whole for celebrating the Super Bowl, for having a home team that won the Super Bowl, which we're about to get into. Um, but just to kind of see the elation from people in the city that that weren't even at the game, that just kind of felt the energy around it. Uh, a lot of people had the chance to go to fan experiences, had the chance, chance to just go to NFL um, and Super Bowl events kind of surrounding this entire weekend. I thought that was pretty cool just to see the city kind of indulge in. So congratulations to the city of Inglewood for that. I know Los Angeles as a whole has been waiting for that for quite some time. But let's talk about the game. Um, can I be petty? Sure. Let's start with the Pick'em League. <laughs> <clears throat> First of all, when you and I both kind of found out we were the finalists and we had these th this game to kind of look at, I, I looked at the game and I said, I know Madden, I feel like I've been following everything that he's been doing he's been doing all season long or since he's kind of came along. We're both going Rams. <laughs> at this point, we just have to figure out point differential. And I felt like you felt like it was going to be a close game regardless. And that's why I picked Rams by four or more. And you picked Cincy by, by three or more. And that was kind of interesting for me because when I saw that, and you said your pick first, I said, okay, now, now he sees something that I don't. And then 20 to 16 happened. And I said, oh. This is what Matt saw. So let's actually get to the game. 23-20 to 20 final score. The Los Angeles Rams, they captured their second title in history. They're first in Los Angeles. They're the second straight team. I love this stat. But they're the second straight team to win the Super Bowl at their home venue after it had never been done before in the NFL. Matt, I need your, your overall opinion first. Well, what a game, first and foremost. What a game. What a treat. Even if you're not a fan of the Rams or a fan of the Bengals, I think a football fan in general was treated to a really good game. Um, everything about the Super Bowl was enjoyable. Um, halftime was spectacular. It was it was unbelievable. Um, I know there's some newer school people that are weren't a fan of it, but <laughs> do some Google researching. You know, pull up a Spotify playlist or two and check back with me after that. But I mean, just, I don't know if I've been captivated for three and a half straight hours like I was on Sunday. Because mm -hmm. the game itself had so many different twists and turns. I mean, at one point you had a missed extra point from the Rams. You had Odell Beckham Jr. go out with injury. You had both quarterbacks get banged up a little bit. You had, I mean, so many different twists and turns to where neither team was really walking away with it in layman terms, I guess. But 
it, it, I definitely was on the edge of my seat all game long. And the game came down to essentially the last play of the game. And I think as a football fan, just with, like I said, if you're not a fan of either team, just watching the game to watch a, a good game, I think you got that. I think, you know, it came down to Joe Burrow trying to make a play and Joe Shiesty, as they call him, you know, they he fell just a little bit short, which does lead me to believe that anybody want to see the Cincinnati team next year with a better offensive line? Oh, man. I, and the funny thing is, I wrote this down, and it were it was for me. <laughs> I want to start a couple of different places. It's, it's not possible because you're going to start one spot. But I wrote these down, and obviously you kind of know the way I draw up the show. And we're probably going to hop around. But you just mentioned something. You said this is the, probably the first time that you were captivated from start to finish. And I know that this is going to sound really, really childish because – <laughs> of what happened, but I think you have to understand, at least growing up in my household, at 10 years old, at, oh, I think at the time, nine years old, nine or 10 years old, and I don't even know what Super Bowl this was, but this was the Super Bowl in 04, but I remember being excited, that probably was the first time for me as a kid, being excited for the halftime show, and that was Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake. So I remember after everything happened, I remember we might have had a Super Bowl party. I remember after everything happened at halftime and everybody was reacting how they were reacting, I remember everybody having to like kind of have a moment to say, we got a second half. Like we are still in, we still have something to look forward to. And that's the only other time that I can kind of remember where. All right, I'm. You got me. You got me sitting here this entire time, and obviously, I don't remember. See, this is the only thing that probably changes it. Halftime for, I don't know Super Bowl this was, but New England versus Philly the first time, To Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I remember start to finish watching that game. I don't remember who performed at halftime, but there goes that. But. I I completely agree, and I think that kind of goes back to kudos to, now I kind of brought it up a little bit, L.A. as a whole for um, the presentation. The presentation was amazing. I I truthfully thought, and this was the interesting thing, of course, you just kind of mentioned the halftime show, but we just talked about L.A., so it, it, it has to happen, but I could be wrong. I didn't do too much research in it. But when I saw the houses that they were pulling on, uh, which was basically the stage for halftime, I saw the city lights, like the map. And I said, okay, that looks like Los Angeles County. And then when I saw Kendrick perform, I said, if I'm not mistaken, he's standing on Compton. And it's just small things like that. For whatever it's worth, and I, I guess this is a sport topic, so I'll get to it. I, I really didn't want to start here. But there were two Pac records that were played, two Pac records that were played. And I said, there's just little sprinkles of everything L.A. here. Just small things. 
If you get it, you get it. And I seen somebody tweeted today where somebody said, "Okay, I know people from L- from from any LA hood saw Tams number twenty one, and they felt the way." That's why I retweeted it and said pastrami chili cheese fries for the win. That sounds great, by the way. You've never had them? No. Oh, I'm taking you. I'm taking you to LA. I'm taking you to LA. I'm taking you to LA immediately. I'm taking you to LA. Pastrami chili cheese fries. You've never had. We're gonna change that. This year, what's we're we're in February. We're changing that this year. Um, wow. But like I said, just being somebody from LA, that that area or that uh, halftime, it had so many. We already know what the what the super what the halftime performance was, but it had so many small details that for us being from that area, I can only speak for myself and some of the people that I did uh, have conversations with. It was just a moment kind of to bask in it. And I realized as much as everybody else was partying during that set, a lot of a lot of the time I was kind of just soaking it in. A lot of the times I, w- I was just in pure silence. Like this is way, this was the opportunity that, now I'm kind of about to broaden it up, but that was the opportunity that hip hop had been asking for f- for decades at this point. So, this is not where I wanted to start, but since we're talking about the halftime show, before we go ahead and uh and 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 hop right into the game, people are <laughs> people are are want me to kind of let the world know, or I guess let them know how I felt about Eminem kneeling during the halftime performance. <clears throat> First of all, Eminem. Did it at a time, this is going to sound very, very, like, unsupportive. But Eminem did it at a time where Dre was beginning to play I Ain't Mad At You. So at that point, I hear Pac. I see M drop to a knee. Colin Kaepernick does not come to mind. You want to know if I'm just being completely honest? Eminem dropping to a knee don't even come to mind. I hear everybody talking about it afterwards. And everybody said, oh, the NFL told him not to take a knee. Oh, he's such a rebel. Oh, he took a knee. Da-da-da-da. That means the only people that realized he took a knee were the people that told him not to. It wasn't a national anthem being played. It wasn't a statement being made. Eminem took a knee. While the intro to I Ain't Mad At You was playing. So to everybody asking, with all due respect, you want me to care why? I think it missed the mark. You know what rung out a lot louder? Kendrick saying, and we hate Popo, want to kill us dead in the street faux show. I know that there were some faces that turned up in there. So to find out after the fact that the NFL tried the Knicks, Dre saying, um, still not loving police. First of all, he said it. But I heard those two things. The NFL tried the Knicks, the Eminem kneeling, and still not loving police. I promise you they didn't want Kendrick to say that either. So those two lyrics stood out more than Eminem's knee. Why are we talking about that? 
So we're gonna stop here. Let's get back to this game though. Um, by the way, the performance was dope. Oh, I love the performance. The performances was dope, and I was trying to sit there and think if everybody had two records. I don't think everybody did, and this is a podcast co- uh, topic. We're gonna get to the uh, that on the podcast. That is an entire conversation. But I know Kendrick had two records, and I think Mary had two records. But when I saw that entire set, I was scratching my head, of course, and I wasn't rapping along, but I was sitting there and was like, is the halftime show typically that short? <laughs> Let's get to the game, man. Um, but this is actually where I want to start, ironically enough. I want to start with Odell Beckham Jr. Now, there are going to be some people who are, are looking at this entire game, this three-point win, and they're going to say, you want to start with Odell Beckham Jr. Absolutely. Because I don't know if it's this close if Odell is in the game. That's why. Odell Beckham Jr. played, what was it, a quarter and a a quarter and a drive, maybe? A quarter and a drive, but he, he tallied 52 yards on two catches, and one of those catches went to the end zone. So, you want to talk about his performance first? Yeah. Let's do that. You got it. Yeah, I mean, you look at Odell. And it came to mind, similar to what you said, I don't know if this game is a three-point game if Odell plays the entire game, the way he's been playing. But the fact that he got injured took away an option for the Rams. They were already down Tyler Higbee. They now don't have Odell Beckham. And for the Bengals, it allows them to basically play ISO defense on – uh, Cooper Cup, just bracket bracket Cup, and say, okay, somebody else is going to have to beat us. You want to try and let Van Jefferson beat us? You want to let whoever else you know beat us? So be it. But we're not getting beat by Odell. We're not getting beat by Cooper Cup. And granted, Cooper Cup still led the Rams in receiving and won won the Super Bowl MVP and mm-hmm. played great. But I noticed up up until the those final probably two drives from the Rams. Cooper Cup was absent for the most part. He wasn't getting the ball that much. And Sean McVay was running more than I thought he would. Stop there, because I want you to kind of allude to that, because you kind of just gave props to Cincinnati's defense, which I'm I'm happy that you did, because it it needed to be said. Props to both defenses, even with – and this is what's so interesting, because I feel like when I wanted to give props to both defenses, the Cincinnati offensive line hopped into my head, but – for three quarters, essentially, I mean, I say that. For two and a half quarters, the Cincinnati offensive line held down Aaron Donald. They couldn't stop everybody, which we anticipated. They couldn't get everybody. But they held down the biggest name on that uh, on that, on that defensive front. And when I look at the game in totality, like you just said, you pointed to Cincinnati's defense, so now I'm looking at, their, at what they probably went into the game and said, we're going to try to contain. Like you just said, it was obvious Cooper Cup isn't going to beat us. Even though he did. But Cooper Cup isn't going to beat us. Just by watching that game, second on that defense's list was what? And this isn't necessarily a quiz, but just in your opinion. Probably Cam Akers. Just stop the run as a whole. Because once we have to worry about that too, we're in trouble. So I think it was A or one Cooper Cup, two, eliminate the run game. They successfully did those first two, like you just said, for probably three quarters. 
Yeah, and I think there was a pivotal point in the game that Cincy kind of missed a little bit on. They they executed partially on it, I guess. They came, I believe, out of half, and they scored, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. They scored. That's right, right they, away. T. That's Higgins. right. They, T. Higgins had the uh, the big play face mask or not against Ramsey. That's right. So I do want to know how you feel about that, too, by the way. That was a good acting job from Jalen Ramsey. Let's leave it at that. I think the reason why he's – or the his acting job is the reason why he didn't get it. That was a flag on – that was an offensive something. It was an offensive face, man. It was something. Yeah, but Ramsey had also gotten pretty beat all night. He especially is that, is, that, is that the second topic you want to go to? That was actually the not, last one I had, but that is the second one I do have. Not quite. I, mean, I could make it. Not quite. I'm just going to make a mental note there to refer back to it later. That's but good. So you get that touchdown out of half, and then they get the interception, what seems like almost the next play. Right. And I thought, oh, boy, here we go. They're going to knock the doors off of the Rams because <laughs> you're giving Joe Burrow the ball back inside his opposing team's 40. Mm-hmm. You're already within McPherson's range. And the way since he's been playing, this game could get really ugly in a hurry for the Rams. I have a random question. Mm-hmm. We already it's not like we're it's suspenseful at this point and we're not we're not We're not in the business of Actually I lied. We are in the business of hyperbole mm-hmm. in this business because it is what it is. Now, I thought about it last night and I said, you know what? You've said that too many times. And I said that across multiple sports. I remember watching the 2001, uh, two, excuse me, 2011, lie, 2012 NBA Finals. And I looked at OKC. And I said, they'll be back. They didn't go back. So... I sit now, and I think back to last night. I looked at Joe Burrow, and I said he was poised all game long. The only time I ever saw him saw I ever saw him show any emotion was when he thought that he <laughs> jacked that knee late in the game, which typical Joe Burrow fashion gets to the sideline. Don't even talk to me. Athletic staff, stay over there. I don't know what's wrong, and I don't want you to find it. Just. Stay over there. Only got like a couple minutes left. We'll talk afterwards. So typical football player fashion. However, I, I think back to previous rounds, previous seasons, whatever the case may be. And now let's look at just the NFL landscape. And of course, we're probably going to talk about mainly the AFC. But it seems like anytime Patrick Mahomes loses, we say ah, next year he's he's right back a contender. We're waiting for Lamar Jackson to get there. We're waiting as if Josh Allen is going to be, up until this year, the the only quarterback that can go back and forth with, with Patrick Mahomes. Similar to what I said, or what I'm sure people have said years ago, and what I said a couple of years ago with Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers, when I, I came to the realization and I said, wow, not only are one of these guys going to retire with one Super Bowl ring, one of these guys is going to retire with one appearance. Welcome right back to it, guys. Lamar may not go. Joe may never be back. 
Josh Allen may never go to one. Pat may never be back. Like, that's, we're right back there. Who's the Phillip Rivers of this class? Who's the one who sneaks out too that he probably shouldn't? These are the questions we have to ask now. Where does Justin Herbert fit in that? Does Derek Carr go and snag too somewhere? Does he leave Vegas and go? That's my point. If you said Eli was going to grab two out of that, that what was that, 15 years ago? Nearly 20 years ago, people were probably looking at you like, fam, Eli's getting two? If anybody's getting double in it, just think about it. What if what happens if Teddy goes on a on a binge and Teddy snatches one? I don't know, man. We've seen these the, the the wilder things happen in football because it's one game. It's one game and you could be out. So I, I looked at Joe Burrow yesterday and I said, he'll be back. And then because I said that, like I said, I was forced to think back to all those other times that I said it. And it forced me to look at Lamar Jackson really hard. It forced me to look at Josh Allen really hard. And it forced me to look at Justin Herbert really hard and say, you know, in hindsight. And then I said all of that about Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees. It may happen to both of them. But Jimmy's been to how many? Three? Two as a starter? Fam, let's move on. Why do I do this to myself? Probably like to torture yourself. I don't know. It, it happens all the time. I, I, I think about things, and it makes me upset. Like, I think about past Packer just events, and it just frustrates me. I don't know why I allow that to happen. But where do you want to go, man? At this point, we already know what we're talking about. We we already kind of discussed Odell Beckham. Let's kind of wrap that up. Uh, this is something I just thought about, and this is not Matthew Stafford's fault. Was that throw behind him? To Odell. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. And that was just one of those moments. I've said it before. I've texted uh, Daryl kind of as ACL situations kind of happen. And I think, I don't know everybody else, but I think for me and Daryl, that may have been one of those moments where we may have known and didn't want to say. Because I was waiting for a text from him. It never. I never sent one. He never. Uh, and no one ever came uh, through from him. And there was a moment where I said, "Just get up." And when he kind of sat there, I, I remember kind of for whatever reason, certain things are burned into your brain from sports. And Sean Livingston's yell when he had his leg injury is burned into my brain. Andrew Bogut's arm falling off the rim. That, when he broke his arm, when he fell off the rim on that dunk. Certain things are etched into your brain. For some reason, I remember OBJ's facial expression during his injuries. This one was different. The fact that when the uh, team came over and he kind of sat up, but he never moved, I said he knows. He's kind of in disbelief at this moment, but he knows. He knows what just happened. And at that moment, I kind of said LA, LA has to go get it for him. And we kind of already know how that how that 
has turned out. He he did not return. I believe a report came out this morning that the Rams do fear that he tore his ACL last night. And I didn't say it out loud, and this is nothing – I don't know if anybody has ever done this publicly. Um, I know it's a lot of radio shows out there, so somebody probably has. But when I saw Odell going off early in the game – I feel guilty to admit that I thought about that. And I was just like, he's came a long, he's come a long way. And I like I said, I never verbalized, but in my head, I was just like, please let him be safe this game. Like at least let him finish this one. And when he went down, I remember my jaw dropping and I sat there in silence. So again. Uh, going through rough injuries like that and injuries that that take long rehabs like that, just prayers to OBJ. Um, I did hear a joke recently by uh, Alan Joban, who is a is a retired welterweight in the UFC, and they were talking about somebody who had won fight of the night, and basically fight of the night in, in the UFC, fifty thousand dollars goes to both sides, and one guy missed weight, so the hundred thousand dollars went to the guy that didn't miss weight. And he also was the guy that won the fight. And Alan Jovan was like, it sucks ever losing a fight. He said, but if you lose and you get that $50,000 bonus, he said, I don't know, something about it heals up faster. He said it just does. And that's just kind of where I'm at with OBJ. I know you don't physically have that ring yet, but the moment you get that ice, just put it on the knee. It'll heal up. It'll heal up immediately. And just the way that this season is going, I believe a lot of people are saying, oh, he's a free agent. Oh, he's coming off this long injury. I believe the Rams will sign him and they will wait. He'll be back with the Rams. I don't know for how long, but I believe he will be back with the Rams. Um, I don't believe he'll be in another team's uniform after just winning a Super Bowl in L.A., but I could be wrong. Uh, but there's plenty of other stories to get to. There's obviously there's Jalen Ramsey. I don't know if you want to hop straight there. There's Matthew Stafford. There's Sean McVay. And there's Aaron Donald. Where are we going? We can uh... – 30 minutes left. Let's go with uh, let's go with Ramsey. <laughs> Congratulations to Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. <laughs> do you at least want to congratulate him? I know you don't want to start there, but do you at least want to congratulate him? He was on the team, so yeah. Obviously, <laughs> grad- congratulations. I've said, first of all, especially being a guy named Chatterbox behind how he feels about sports and how he can go on and on about sports. I've talked so many moments about me being quiet during this game. Every moment of elation for Cincinnati, at least, came at the expense of Jalen Ramsey. I don't know how to feel about that. The scouting report was out on Jalen Ramsey. The Bengals figured out. If we go deep, we got Ramsey. He can't cover deep. You you put him in short yardage to medium yardage situations, he's probably okay. You start going 20 or more yards down the field, he starts falling behind a step or two. Or, or literally two. to the ground. Yeah, especially on the last play. If Joe Burrow has maybe one more second to throw the ball, we're talking about Cincinnati winning this football game because he had Jamar Chase wide, wide open. open, not a soul around him. Oh, 
and he could have walked into the end zone if he wanted to. Now, now for whatever it's worth, Jalen can't say anything about the completed plays. I'm going to be on Jalen's side a little bit on that last one. So, that's what a team is for. You're right. That would have been one of the moments I would have had to answer for. I don't have to answer for it because those guys did their job up there. Appreciate it. There have been times when they didn't get to the quarterback, and I did my job back here. They just so happened to do it on the biggest play in the biggest game, on the final play of the biggest game. So for Jaden, I kind of want to help in, in that regard. And here's the part that, that kind of sucks more than anything because you guys know, I tell you guys all the time, my spirit animal is Dion, and I've said that before <laughs> Before he, he became a coach at Jackson State because I – I believe in this, that there is a certain level of arrogance that's required to be successful. I believe it. I, you could be, you could call it what you want, but it's certain things that Matt do or does, certain things that Matt does, rather, that if I tell Matt that he can't do, Matt would look at me and go, all right. At some point, it's your opinion. Tell Eminem he can't rap. He's going to look at you and go, all right. I don't know. Tell Eminem he can't draw. Maybe he's sensitive about that. I don't. I can draw. You're not going to get Eminem to argue with you about whether he can rap or not. He's arrogant about it. Being that person, you can't afford to have nights like last night happen. It was, and this was what's so interesting. When I saw Jamar Chase, Jamar Chase, excuse me, on that first play, was it 46 yards? That first big play of the game from Joe Burrow, I saw it in the moment, and I'm sure a lot of people did. I don't know why, and this is with all due respect, as as great of a Hall of Fame combo as Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels is, or are, I kind of was, was a little shocked that they didn't realize in that moment that it was a one-hander. I saw it and was like, oh, he tubbed it. I said, that's one. So when they saw and they showed the replay, and that's when Chris Collinsworth was like, oh, my God. Like, that's when it kind of hits. Not only did you get beat, not only did he catch the ball, it was one. So when Jalen hopped up and t- patted his chest and was like, yeah, all right, you got me. Like I just said, I feel like I kind of I get the arrogance. So I was like, I was at home, even if I was rooting for Cincy, I was at home like, you right, you got it, next one. And then T. Higgins happened. And even with, like, like I just said, even with it, I looked at that and I was like, all right, you can't let it happen again. Then Jamar got him on that first play of the uh, final drive. The It was a shorter play, but Jamar hit him with a quick move, picked up like 20-some yards that I think got him near midfield. It was a couple of plays. I was like, oh, Jamar got him by a couple steps, and he may have even slipped in the process. There was a time that Jamar was down, or the Bengals were down early in the game. This may have been before they even touched the scoreboard to begin with. And Jamar had um, a, a, a short, a short catch, but kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of put some rack on it. You know what I mean? Kind of added to it a little bit. And when he hopped up, I remember after that specific play, he flexed. He, he put both arms up and he flexed. And that was on Jalen. And it's like it's small plays like that to where a lot of people are going to remember the one-hander. A lot of people are going to remember the final play that wasn't. These are the plays that I remember. Jalen got torched all night. Oh, yeah. 
and I've always said that I don't I don't play either position. My brother played quarterback, so I kind of understand a little bit of some of the stuff that he kind of explains, and that's a ridiculous job in itself. But I have always been one of the, one of those guys to say cornerback is probably the scariest thing on the football field. Fam, it's me and you. And I can't touch you. <laughs> like, I can't touch you until the ball is here. Like, that's that's a scary aspect of the game. So when you get quarterbacks that do it well, you're going to get arrogant quarterbacks. With all due respect, we've seen quarterbacks here at UNLV's level, Jericho Flowers, who arrogance, it, it, he reeks of arrogance. In the Mountain West, he was a pain. It's just the way it is. You could look at him in the country and say, well, he played at UNLV. Call it what you want. He had the Mountain West panicking for a little bit. And that's kind of where I'm at with, with, with cornerback positions. I hate to say it, but you're going to have nights like that. It just so happened for Jalen Ramsey, and maybe this is – I talk about higher powers talking to you. Maybe this is just the higher power letting them know, as great as you are, you got a whole offseason to think about that. You got a ring out of it, but you got a whole offseason to think about that. So, again, Jalen, go home and put that proverbial ring on your mantle. You'll heal a little quicker. Sean McVay, Aaron Donald, Matt Stafford. Which one to go next? Mm-hmm. Go with Stafford. Oh, I was wrong because they're on the same list. But Cooper Cup is next to him. So, let's start with Cooper Cup. Okay. MVP, man. <laughs> You have to start that talk. Anytime somebody's MVP, you have to start a conversation with that. <laughs> like, it's just, it was funny, but I remember when Asia won the MVP out here, and every story that I wrote that following season, it was reigning league MVP. And it got to about the 28th game, and I was like, fam, I'm tired of writing this. But she's the reigning league MVP. <laughs> like, it matters, though. It matters. And like you just said, I think everything that you just said about Cooper Cup was right. He had moments where maybe he would flash in the first in the first half or maybe he would have a, a moment in the third quarter where he would get, a, he would get a, a, um, a juke move going. Or you would get to the fourth quarter and then Cooper Cup is the difference. And I think what's so interesting about that is, like you just said, he won this MVP while – Probably on everybody's uh, in everybody's mind, if you, if you follow sports, he won this MVP being the number one point of emphasis for that defense. And I don't think that is going to get spoken about enough. I don't think so at all. And here is no disrespect to Cooper Cup. I don't know where to take this conversation. Triple crown winner. Led the league in receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns. Offensive player of the year. Super Bowl champion. Super Bowl MVP. A man that had no offers out of high school? What was it? What was it? No D1 offers, rather? Mm-hmm. Didn't we just hear the same thing about Julian Edelman? Yeah. There's a lot in common between them. We're, we're, we're a show here that doesn't run away from race, right? There's one obvious one. They're wide receivers. And they're wide receivers who can do things like, I don't know, throw the ball. Cooper Cup is over one in that Super Bowl. But you, you get the point. Right. 
So, again, I think there's just something about that underdog mentality that a Julian Edelman and a Cooper Cup has. And I think the only difference is probably stature. It's probably the only difference between the two is, is, is stature. And can I vent for a second? This has nothing to do with, not, with nothing. Green Bay, you could have had T. Higgins. Let's move on. Um, Cooper Cup. I really, really like the story that broke today about because I'm a firm believer in this, first of all. And some things need to remain in-house. Uh, and I'm a firm believer in sometimes you have to want it yourself. Like, you have to want it so bad yourself that there's obviously going to be some people that don't get the vision. But you have to be kind of so adamant that even if they don't believe in it, they kind of know what the what the vision is. And I heard somebody say it recently, and I can't remember who said it. Izzy said it. Israel Adesanya said it. Which, by the way, we got to talk about Izzy on the podcast, too, because that Joe Rogan thing was kind of gross to me. Um, <laughs> but Izzy said, even if you're not paying your money, you're paying attention. And I have tattoos, and I was like, damn it, I want to get that tatted. Because some, and Matt, you know where I'm going with this. There are some people that aren't going to support what we're doing. That's fine. You don't have to pay your money. But I promise you're paying attention. And that's just kind of where Cooper Cup is now. And the story that broke this morning, like I said, I'm a firm believer in it. You don't have to believe in Cooper Cup. He said that he had a vision. After 2019, when they lost the Super Bowl, and he said as he was walking off the field, he said he had a vision that, and I, obviously I joked, and I was like, man, he sounded like Raven from That's So Raven on Disney Channel, talking about he had a vision. But I, I've had those moments, and I believe him. He said he walked off the field in 2019, and he said he had a vision of him winning a Super Bowl and him being named MVP. Here's the interesting part. He never told anyone. Except for one person. And I think both are powerful because you don't want to go on a public platform and say, oh, we're going to win a Super Bowl because now everybody's looking at you. Well, where is this? They're pulling that clip. Do you know how tormented Aaron Donald would have been with that ring me at the end of the NFC Championship if L.A. would have lost? <laughs> That's emotion. That's the way he felt in the, in the moment. Yeah. Now him doing it in the Super Bowl after sealing it, it means something different. If he would have lost, he probably would have had nightmares about that moment. Cooper Cup never said anything publicly. But the important factor, and this is why I said I think both are heavy, sometimes you got to let at least one person know. And it stays between you guys. But he told his wife. So I know we joked about Eminem doing what he did earlier and nobody in the building knowing what he did. This is a different one. Because while he was named MVP, everybody reacted however they reacted. Whether they showed it on the outside or not, him and his wife reacted differently internally. Because that vision came true. And things like that, and that's the thing that, for people who don't get it, that's the thing that, 
That's why Kobe has been immortalized the way that he has been. Because Kobe was saying, you don't have to shoot a basketball. Just take what I do and apply it to whatever it is you do. That Cooper Cup story could be anything. It could be you envisioning yourself opening a restaurant. Nobody has to know that goal. So again, we, we, we talk about Julian Edelman and we talk about uh, even when, when, when Tom Brady gave the Super Bowl uh, truck to James White. Like you talk about these stories about people who have been counted out. And again, Cooper Cup just continues to add to that. Let's talk about the man that threw him the football. The second longest career before winning a Super Bowl championship. Matt, what do you want from me? I told you guys don't let him out of Detroit. <laughs> I've said it. For, I said it for a decade. The only thing that pops into my that popped into my mind after uh, the Super Bowl obviously concluded and there were all zeros on the clock, I thought about Aaron Rodgers years ago when Tom Brady popped out and was like, "Oh, if Aaron Rodgers was in Green Bay or if Aaron Rodgers was in New England, he would have twelve championships, whatever the case may be." When they asked Aaron about it, I think it may have been on the Pat McAfee show, he was like, yeah, well, that's nice of him to say, and you know what I mean? We all would love to be coached by a Bill Belichick, whatever the case may be. But I'll tell you what. There's another guy out here in the NFC North, number nine, in Detroit, that if you and I, this is what I'm kind of paraphrasing, that if he wasn't in Detroit, we would have to worry about. I know a lot of people was up in arms at the moment because he was like, oh, see, he's disrespecting Detroit. We don't have, he's saying he doesn't have to worry about Detroit. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. You guys are wasting that quarterback's career. And his first season away from it, he does this. Only thing that crossed my mind was Aaron Rodgers probably on his couch saying, see? Told you guys. Don't let him out of Detroit. He's been that. Yeah, um, <laughs> I got to think about how I want to phrase this real fast of how, because here's the thing. I saw a lot of people that I know are Lions fans <laughs> all come out of the woodworks yesterday. Check the schedule. Well, didn't see the Lions playing in the Super Bowl. Not at all. I was like, okay, it's a little weird. And they're like, yeah, we, we, you know, we're rooting for the Rams because, you know, Stafford and it, almost like they were living vicariously through Matt Stafford. They were. And mm -hmm. Eminem. That's the part that bothered me. <laughs> Detroit wasn't in the game. Like the Detroit Lions were not playing in the Super Bowl. Nowhere near that. The only Bulls are probably playing. Never mind. Anyway. I knew the joke as soon as I heard the ball. Let's move it. Let's move along. Yeah. Um, that was a good one, by the way. That was a really good one. But it's just laughable that they try and piggyback off of a guy that's not even on their roster anymore. Like, fam, let it go. Okay, wait, time out, pause. Can I help? Sure. Damn, Pittsburgh is usually pretty... <laughs> contending pretty often, so I can't really pull from Pittsburgh. But I don't know, man. Let's say uh, you're a Toronto Raptor fan. Mm -hmm. Vince Carter goes away. 
there were some turbulent times when he was in Toronto, but at some point, don't you root for him? Isn't, the, isn't that one of, the, one of these cases? Rooting for the player is different than rooting for the team, though. Okay, I hear you. There were people literally pulling for the Rams. Like, well, by default, for, for him to win in Super Bowl, the Rams have to win. But I, I guess I do kind of hear your argument of it, it not being directed solely towards him. Right. Sure, you can root for other you know play, or players that go to other teams. And, you know, I, I think a lot was said when, you know, Brady went to the Bucks. I think right. a lot of reaction from Pats fans was they were happy for him. They wanted him to do well in Tampa. But they didn't root for Tampa. They weren't actively rooting for Tampa Bay, though. They were rooting for Tom. Good point. Detroit fans yesterday were rooting for L.A. Sure, they were rooting for Matt Stafford, but they weren't just rooting for Stafford. And I get it. Detroit has, we'll call it what it is, sucked for (laughs) what seems like decades now. I haven't worried about him in quite some time. And it's all part of being a fan, though. Like, you don't just get to be like, well, my team sucks. I'm going to go root for somebody else that's doing well. Like, that's, <laughs> that's not how funny. this works. You Being part of a fan means going through the rough patches and going through the years where it's ugly and it doesn't look good. And you have years that aren't good. That You know, I mean, shoot. Look at year one after Brady left the Pats. It, w- it was probably rough being a Patriots fan. Looking at that going, are we really not going to make the playoffs? And let's talk about it with the Lakers for a quick second. Again, we're, we're blending this, but there's a reason why we're doing it. James Worthy just said maybe a week ago that this was the lowest that he's ever – that he's this is the lowest point of any season that he's probably seen in Laker history. And I'm not sure we've seen the lowest yet. That's and I don't want to sit here and tell James whether he's wrong, but I'm semantics, man. Based on semantics, he's wrong. Now, if he meant most talented Laker roster, lowest point of any talented Laker roster, whatever the case may be, fam, you guys had at one point in time Ryan Kelly, Jordan Hill, and Robert Sacre as your starting front court. Mm-hmm. That was what the Lakers had. That what was that point? So that's why I was just like, sometimes, we, we talked about hyperbole in the beginning. No, it's not. <laughs> like, you, you're here for the dramatics a little bit, but no, it's not. That's not what that is. And I, I think, for whatever it's worth, you, you, you're, you're talking about a franchise rather in Detroit that they have been bottom dwellers. And they, like you just said, they have had moments where Matthew Stafford to get to the postseason. I've never been worried about him. Calvin Johnson going crazy. That may have been the only time in, in Detroit's history, at least in my lifetime, rather, where I was like, mm, mm, they're enough. Those two are enough. And now you kind of got this 2.0 with him with him and Cooper Cup. But then you look at what's around them still. You talked about Van Jefferson, who had four catches in the Super Bowl and then woke a second child three hours after the game. That's insane. That was nuts. That's insane. You had you had Taylor Rapp propose to his girlfriend uh, on the field following. You had Aaron Donald fulfill the promise that he that he who we're actually about to get to to his daughter that he made when she was five years old. Like you have OBJ with a child on the way. Like, and of course there's stories on both sides, but 
you look at some of these stories. Let's talk about Whit. Let's talk about Andrew Whitworth. The third, the third player to ever start a Super Bowl in his 40s. Jerry Rice, Tom Brady, and now Whit. Big Whit. So to see him win Walter Payton Man of the Year and cap it off with a Super Bowl. Again, I'm getting Dirk vibes similar because he hasn't said it yet, but he's kind of alluded to it. Wait, right off into the sunset. Played 11 years with Cincy. Finally win your first ring over Cincy. If I'm with, I'm not suiting up again. No need to. I'm in L.A. now, too. And I just found out that he, and this is shout out to him. This is my grandfather's favorite restaurant, so shout out to him. I didn't know that last, or two years ago, rather, 2020 during COVID, he uh, donated $50,000 to the Serving Spoon in Inglewood, California to keep it open. So another spot I got to take you to. But couldn't be more happy for a guy like Wade. Um Matthew Stafford, just to kind of give his numbers, 26 of 40, 283 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. We talked about him making mistakes. He made a couple of them. I, I figured he would make one and still get the win. I mean, given that stat line, is it still bad to say that I wasn't impressed with Matthew Stafford? Okay. Um, for what it's worth, was Eli Manning imp- – sorry, Eli. Was Eli Manning impressive in either one of his Super Bowl wins, but he was impressive when he needed to be? That's fair, and I probably wouldn't have thought about this all that much. Um, well, I mean, I, I don't think I think about it as much compared to if he had won the MVP. I probably would have thought about it a whole lot more. I'd have been like, I'm, I'm like, bro, really? The guy threw two interceptions. Oh, There were points in the game you felt Matthew Stafford was going to give the game away. Like, if they had give, gave him the MVP over Donald, over Cup, over whoever you want to throw up there, if if Odell plays the whole game, you can make the argument Odell's going to be the MVP. Um, Which I don't know that he won't get one. So he could. He's so electrifying. It's one game. He could. That's why I'm not sure. If he gets there again? Yeah. Hmm. And, I mean, if you pull the numbers, crazy as it sounds, Matthew Stafford and Joe Burrow played about the same, in my opinion. Yeah. Some would argue Joe played a little better. Yeah, I mean, Joe didn't throw as many touchdown passes, but I think Joe had a better uh, a better overall uh, quarterback rating. Uh, Matt may have had a better QBR. They were trading stats. So, essentially, they canceled each other out. They were practically the same player on either side. Not to mention Joe Burrow was sacked seven times. And yeah, Joe Matt Burrow was sacked had, twice. That goes back to the original point. You really want to see Cincy next year running back the same crew with an a improved offensive line? They have so many players on that team, like you just said, that's young. So they have guys on their rookie deal. Similar to what we watched with, with, with uh, Phoenix between uh, Michael Bridges, and I know I keep, I keep doing this, with Michael Bridges and DeAndre Aiden, but we looked at their run last season into the NBA Finals and said, well, you got these guys on rookie deal. So try to win now, and you're probably going to have some hard decisions to make later on. And that's probably what Cincy is going to eventually find themselves in. But like you said, it won't be next season. So who knows what they'll be able to do next season. And the interesting thing was, let's talk about that offensive line while we transition over into Aaron Donald, because that offensive line held Aaron Donald in check, definitely through the first half. And 
I think this was maybe in the third half. I mean, third half. Third quarter. <laughs> third quarter. Where... Um, <clears throat> you tell me how you feel. But Joe Burrow had scrambled out of the pocket and he was headed toward the sideline. And Aaron Donald pushed him out of bounds. The offensive line did what the offensive line should do, and they went towards Aaron Donald. I say that after saying that their probably their biggest mistake was pissing off Aaron Donald. But how do we feel about that play? Because Joe wasn't running out of bounds. He was running toward the sideline, though. But he was running out of but he wasn't running out of bounds. So how do we feel about either that or the Cincy reaction? First glance, I think it should have been flagged. Really? I don't think Joe's gonna all of a sudden stop on a dime and then start cutting it back upfield to where he's a threat to gain more yardage or do more damage or whatever you want to label it as. I, I think you're right. I think he was running towards the sideline and it felt like it was a late hit. When you wa- when you watch the play live, my first reaction was that seemed pretty late, and what the offensive line did, like you said, that's what you would expect they they would do. You know, a hit that looks to be a little bit on the later end of the spectrum, and they're going to go pick up their guy and they're going to go uh, make sure that uh, order is restored amongst the line of scrimmage. You know that you're not going to sit there, you're not going to push around our QB. And if you do, there's going to be some repercussions to that. Let me ask you this. See if it changes your mind any. I'm going to try my best to, to give you a little pushback. So, where do I want to start? I want to start with the AFC. Let's look at Pat Mahomes and uh, Josh Allen. Pat Mahomes just did it against Cincy, where they had their their secondary co- – or their, their secondary did their job in having the receivers and, and pass catchers covered. Pat Mahomes began to run. There were at least two separate times where Pat Mahomes scrambled toward the KC sideline. The defender kind of slowed up. And you're right. Joe Burrow doesn't strike me as the type of guy to give you a Lamar Jackson stop on a dime and pivot the other way. But neither does uh, Josh Allen necessarily, and neither does uh, Patrick Mahomes. But I watched both of them during this postseason run get to the sideline and see the guy kind of stop up or slow up. No, nah, I'm a teeter. I'm gonna kind of tightrope the sideline a little bit. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get these extra three or four. Why not? The second point that I'm gonna give. I know that was two points, but they were AFC quarterbacks. My second point. Aaron Donald went to pit. Why does that matter, right? They just made a Kenny Pickett rule at pit, where he faked the slide. The defender stopped, and he took one to the house. If I'm Aaron Donald. I'm either going to watch you hit that white line or I'm going to watch you hit the turf. Until I see one of the two, I'm working to do one of the two. Joe Burrow, to me, even from watching at home, he looked like he may have give, given him one of those little teeter up the sidelines. Joe Burrow seems like that guy. He's a resourceful quarterback. He seems like that guy. I've seen Derek Carr do it. And Derek Carr doesn't run at all. <laughs> I've seen Derek Carr do it to try to not end up with a play of no game. So I don't know that it was a late hit because I don't know that we are sure that Joe Burrow is going out of bounds. Maybe, maybe not. But then, I mean, I, I at that point I thought, okay, even if it's late, 
it seems like this officiating crew is letting the game go on. Like, they're not really trying to interject all that much. Was it four combined flags heading into the fourth? Which I, yeah, which I was cool with until we got to the last drive. And I thought, talk to me. And I thought, you have got to be kidding me. Are we leaving Aaron Donald? We, I mean, we. Well, let's let's finish this game. What'd you have? Yeah, just a stat line: four tackles, uh, three solo, two sacks, two tackles for loss. Did and I and I don't know how everybody feels about this. Well, because clearly he gave Rodney here. I shouldn't say that, but maybe Robbie Harris. Maybe that. Maybe Rodney Harrison had the clearance to give this information away. But I just wonder if Aaron Donald would have been a little upset that Rodney Harrison said before the game that if he wins the Super Bowl, he may be done. Um, granted, maybe he's a, he's an all. I've never met Aaron Donald. Granted, he could probably be an all around professional, and maybe he said that knowing that he was going to say that before the game. But Rodney Harrison did do it like shortly before kickoff, so that was the shock to me. I heard it and was like, AD. So like now I can't even process if this is AD's final game of his career because he was, it was said right before they kicked off almost essentially. That's what it felt like. So. I just wonder if the game had went another way if he would have wanted that in-house. You know what I mean? To kind of kind of have the shock factor after the game just a little bit. But granted, he, he answered his, his retirement question, and he said that uh, – and this is obviously something that he's been it's – been, it's, it's been a conversation. At least it's been whispers because it's not something that shocked too many people. I guess it did shock people who obviously aren't super close to the NFL, uh, myself included. So I think the interesting part was the the news breaking from Rodney Harris and that he did tell him if he wins one, he might be done. Um, so now we can get to that because the last person that we have to talk about is Sean McVay. As far as finishing up on Aaron Donald. You, well, you wanted to get to the flags. Oh, yes, the flags. So... <sighs> I mean, if you're going to call a game the way you call a game for three and a half quarters, it seems like they had set a precedent when they did that. Hmm. I thought, okay, this is how the game's going to go. If they're going to, unless it's absolutely obvious, they're going to let it. They're going to let it play out. They're not going to throw the flag. We got to the last drive of the game, mm-hmm. and this is well, second to last drive. It, the last. Technically, the Bengals had the last drive, but the last scoring drive for L.A. Okay. And L.A. proceeds to get to the red. Well, they it really wasn't until they got to the red zone mm-hmm. that this seemed more so problematic than anything. Okay. Since he gets called for holding, which I thought in the moment and still right now, I thought it was a weak call. That was not holding. It's just playing the symbol was not holding. I in the moment I said, "You can't throw that flag at this time." Not only was it not holding, it wasn't holding. It wasn't pi. It wasn't illegal hands. It wasn't anything. No. And then they got pi in the end zone. Mm-hmm. They may have even had one more penalty before that, all on Cincinnati, and it wasn't like they they were obvious. It'd be one thing if they were pretty plain and in sight. Right. All of those were 50-50 
call it or don't call it type of plays where if you don't call it, I don't think it's a problem. The one thing I disagree with you on is the is the holding call. I don't think that's 50-50. That's not holding. Well, I, I agree. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's, that was the verdict I got to. to. That was nothing to call there. That was the verdict I got to. It was like, I wasn't holding. That was a very weak holding if it was. but. And I think that might have sent them to, what, the two? Like, yeah. that might have set them up right there. And it was like, fam, you can't do that and put them right on the right on the doorstep. That's not – again, and, and as referees, we – I've never refed the Super Bowl, but when, we're, when we go through refereeing uh, courses and just kind of how they, they teach us to referee, they, they tell us don't ref the score, don't ref stats, don't ref things like that, but they do tell us be mindful of the moment. Just be mindful. If it's the final play of the game – Typically let the players, you know what I mean, figure it out unless it's something crazy. And something like that, it's like, remember, your placement on the field is all, or your placement anywhere, court, field. Um, and, and that more than anything, I, I truthfully don't know if that matters 40-yard line. I'm not sure if that matters. If they if that gets them into the red zone, maybe it does. But I promise you, if that same play happens in the first quarter, but it gets them to the two, we're still talking about it. It's it's what came on the aftermath, like what was on the back end of it. L.A. was giving the ball at like the two. Yeah. That's what did it for me. I was like, fam, we can't. He didn't hook him either. So that was kind of interesting. But um, I agree with you. And it seems like since I said it, and every I, I, I teased Salim for it, Salim said, uh, I got some clothes that I need to wash when he was talking about Bill Belichick, and then the Patriots went ahead and won eight straight games, and I was like, Salim, stop talking. Um, but it always happens. And now here's the time where people can tell me to stop talking because I, I love this field, plain and simple, because we're in the business of people who sometimes we get it right. And when we get it right, we get the gloat. And when we're wrong, we get to admit that we're wrong. And sometimes we get to eat crow along with it. I'm not sure that the Rams have lost the game since I said that Sean McVay may be this this generation's Andy Reid. <laughs> I don't think he's lost the game since. And that take has obviously aged horribly because, now for you guys that didn't get the take, the take was... Sean McVay strikes me as the coach that's just brilliant that gets to that point, that gets to that point, that gets to that point, but he may not get over the hump. I could see him as a, somebody who gets to the NFC Championship four times, gets to two or three Super Bowls, and doesn't win his first one until his fourth try. Needless to say, here's the part where I eat crow because Sean McVay is now the youngest head coach to win a Super Bowl at 36 years old, knocking off Mike Tomlin. From the top. Uh, why, why you got to do that? I, because that's what they said. That's what they told me. I don't like that they told you that. The NFL, the record books told me, man. I'm just, you know, the numbers, the numbers talk to me. But I don't know where to, again, we have a couple of these people that we kind of just don't know where to start. Cooper Cup was one of those. And now that I'm here at Sean McVay, I definitely don't know where to start. Uh, I, I think this is, a, this is a coach who, there should be a documentary about him when it's all said and done because – whether he retires now or not, and that's kind of us teasing with it right now, but he's also kind of teased with the idea of retirement. And somebody tweeted, Sean McVay winning a Super Bowl 
at 36 would be the youngest head coach, whatever, whatever. Went to the next, went, uh, skipped the line and was like, uh, if he was to quit and retire now, he could go into broadcasting, make equal or better money, similar to what Tony Romo was doing. People talked about Tony Romo being a coach a couple of years ago. CBS gave him that deal, and now you just don't hear Tony Romo's name as being a coach anymore. Because why? <laughs> the Raiders had to give John Gruden $100 million for him to come out of retirement. Why? Because ESPN was paying him. Why am I coming out? Why am I doing this? So I could absolutely – and this is – Please don't be the exact same John Gruden, but I could see Sean McVay being the next John Gruden, going and being on Monday Night Football, um, maybe going to NFL Network, being on Thursday Night Football. I have no clue, but I, I could absolutely see him transitioning into that in in the 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 season that John Madden was called home. I do find it interesting that Sean McVay becomes the youngest head coach to win a Super Bowl. And it's probably going to be the biggest retirement for a head coach. Probably shocking of a retirement, I should say, for a head coach probably since John Madden. And I think that's interesting because John Madden, when he did it, he did it obviously for various reasons. And and Virginia told the story a little bit about uh, how he was during that time. And he admitted that he wasn't happy. And I think what's interesting is Sean McVay may be on the opposite spectrum of that. And for John Madden to walk away at the time that he did and say that he would never coach another game of football again, if we're in this we're in this generation. I, I, we talk about it on the pod all the time about rappers retiring. Fam, no, you're not. Like you're, you'll you'll eventually give it another shot. Tom Brady hasn't fully wiped it wiped it off the board yet. I think Sean McVay may be one of those as well. Anything else that he does, again, unless he's chasing Bill Belichick and he thinks he can get to, what is that, six? Which, first of all, that's just six with New England. Bill Belichick has more, doesn't he? Does he have seven? He has uh, one somewhere else, I think. Who, Belichick? I think he does. He's got six, I thought. He has six with New England. I don't think he won anything with Cleveland. Not with Cleveland. He was in New York before that, wasn't he? Didn't win with the Giants, did he? I don't think so. I think it is. I think he only has the New England ones. Hmm. Interesting. But unless he's gonna chase the ghost <laughs> that's actually still active in terms of Bill Belichick, I'm not sure if if he has really anything to add to his legacy at this point. Like you said, uh, like we kind of already know, another Super Bowl helps. A third Super Bowl helps. But I mean. Anybody would tell you in the NFL that it's hard to win those. And to be the youngest one to ever do it and be touted as the guy that we that everybody in the world and sports uh, commentators have argued that he was going to be that guy for so long, to be that guy and still be, pardon, the youngest guy to do it, to do it against an assistant who's only two years older than you. I mean, Sean McVay is going to have multiple kids from his family tree out there. So... Him retiring as the youngest one, I think that kind of adds to his lore a little more, similar to, and I'm not a big proponent of this, but similar to what people feel about, well, let me go ahead and throw myself in there. Even being a Packer fan, I really believe that Barry Sanders is one of the greatest running backs to ever touch a football. And one of the reasons why I win a lot of those arguments is because of the way he retired. You don't know what he could have did. 
And I feel like Sean McVay has kind of benefited from that at this present moment. If he retires today, let's say Zach Taylor wins one eventually. Let's say a couple of other his assistants get to Super Bowls. Maybe they don't win it, but they would look back at Sean, at Sean McVay and say, 36 years old, how many would he would have won? That's a good point. At this point, you got to sell when the market is high, man. I may never coach another game again. Mm-hmm. For what? Why? Um, man, anything else you want to talk about for the Super Bowl before we wrap it up? Great game. Uh, great three and a half hours, an entertaining three and a half hours from start to finish. I'm just disappointed that we don't get football now till August. That did hit me today. I was getting ready to do the show and or getting ready to leave for the show. And as I was leaving, I looked around and was like, <gasps> we don't have no game tonight. Nope. I said, what are we about to do for the next six months? It's going to be a whole lot of hockey and basketball. <laughs> and baseball when it finally comes around and gets going. Let's talk about, you know what, and this is, I'm thank you for saying that. This is what I'll do with this brief transition before I get into local news. Uh, let's start with aviators really, really briefly. Um, ended up getting caught in a news cycle, and I apologize on multiple levels for this. The passing of Jeremy Giambi, former Oakland A, former Las Vegas 51, I recall, if I recall correctly, passed away a couple of weeks ago, maybe just maybe just about two, and um, was found at his parents' house. And I just want to, first of all, obviously prayers and condolences to his fans, family, fans, family and friends. And, of course, close associates. But in addition to that, I do want to extend a special uh, prayer and blessing to his parents because I I didn't read how they found him or who found him or how they found out. But I pray for their mental stability after something like that. That is their child. Um, And now... Let's get to Jeremy, just who who Jeremy was. And it, it, this kind of shocked me a little bit more. I was watching Moneyball um, like maybe a week before. And I remember Billy Bean talking to Jeremy when he when he was contemplating letting Jason. Well, actually, I lied. This is when Jason did walk. And um, if you guys recall that, Oakland allowed him to walk. They didn't they didn't interact they didn't, or excuse me, they didn't intervene rather. They they kind of knew that um, that market was 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 high on on Jason and because of that, if you guys have never seen Moneyball, it is the you is it's supposedly the birth of analytics. And Billy Bean said at the end of the day, I don't have to replace Jason Gian because I can't do that. I can replace his production though, even if it takes multiple people. One of those people that was brought in to replace Jason Giambi was young Jeremy Giambi. He wasn't the power hitter that his brother was. I think he might have been a defender that his brother was. So he was kind of like, well, he might have been a better defender, rather. He was like, well, I mean, we can use him for that. <laughs> At least that he's a better defender than Jason. So now we need to replace the other parts of him. But I remember when he spoke to him and they had the interview. And in the movie, uh, he was like, uh, I hear Vegas is your favorite place. And Jeremy was kind of smiled and was like, I mean, you know, it's kind of one of those places where he kind of said that he has a good time, whatever the case may be. And I love the fact that um, those are kind of the stories that kind of began to pour out about Jason, about Jason, or excuse me, pardon, 
pardon guys by jeremy and um it, it's always tough just dealing with something this this difficult in itself but to see people have positive memories to look back on great stories even crazy stories wild stories um we're, we're just amazing to see and News did break, I believe, maybe maybe about a week ago that um, Jeremy did die by suicide. And again, uh, I, I truthfully wish that I had the hotline number up at this present moment to give you guys. But um, just understand that there's people who are also going through it. <laughs> You're not alone. Understand that and understand that um, there are ears out there that are willing to listen. Well said. Um, I do find it interesting to see, or I will find it interesting to see how the aviators uh, deal with this, or not even just the aviators, or the Oakland um, franchise as a whole, how they deal with it, um, whether it's just a moment of silence, whether it's just whatever the case may be, and um. Again, this is just a, a, a time, too, and this is just on my heart and on my mind, so I am going to say it. I'm going to try to find the words to say it correctly. Uh, but just prayers to Las Vegas, too, just as a whole. Um, uh, trying to remember about the time frame. Not too long ago. I can't remember when, but not too long ago I watched um, Believe. Is that what it's called? Believe on ESPN Plus, the Drew Robinson story. I think it's Believe, and I don't want to be wrong. I apologize, guys. Um, but I watched his story. And if you guys know anything about the Drew Robinson story, there's, I believe it's in four or five parts, maybe six. I stopped it twice. Two times. Where me as a person with asthma, I'm sitting there, and I realize my, I'm getting short of breath. Like, it's hard to breathe. So Drew Robinson being a Las Vegas native, hearing his story and, of course, covering him when he was here with the Sacramento River Cats, and now he's in the front office with the Giants actually helping player development with their mental health. I think that's an amazing story. Uh, I, I just pray for Vegas because Vegas continues to have these stories on their conscience and a lot of people don't want to talk about it and a lot of people want to make it seem like it's not real but these things are real and average las vegans las vegans nevadians whatever you guys want to call it um th they carry this whether they are aware of it or not october 1 was was a cloud that a lot of people didn't realize was hovering over them um i remember the the i don't like saying anniversary but a year after um i didn't feel good I felt terrible one day, and I was just like, "I'm, this is bad." And I don't know if you know if you know me long enough, Matt, to know, but I don't really go to the hospital. Like when I tore my Achilles, I went home the first night. <laughs> like I woke up, my foot was purple, and I was like, "Fam, I got to do something." But I don't go to the hospital if I don't have to, and I didn't feel good. I felt like I was just like, my body felt weak, and I rolled over and I looked at my phone, and it was October one. And it was the year after. And I was just like, my body is letting me know just chill today. Just stay in the house. So, again, I pray for just Las Vegas as a whole. I pray for, again, the Giambi family. I pray still for the Robinson family. Um, just prayers to anybody who is going through something of the sort. And um, 
I don't think this is a funny transition. I don't think this is a funny segue as, a, at all. But Robin Leonard is another one who we. No, I know it wasn't intentional. No, I was about to say no, 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 no. It's, I swear this is not a joke. Robin Leonard is another one who has been open and vocal about what he goes through, and when he does that, this is where the the. the the urge for people to laugh where Matt probably thought I was going with, but fans are cruel. Yeah. And fans don't care. And I know where you were going because the team just, you know what I mean, got absolutely waxed. Right. But I, I wanted to keep it in a moment of seriousness first only because that is something that Robin Leonard has been open with dealing with. And then you have stories like Kevin uh, Love and DeMar DeRozan who admitted they didn't want to tell their stories. They didn't want to come out. Because they know when they go on the road, people places like Utah, places like New York, places like L.A., they're going to hear about it. Well, maybe not tomorrow in L.A. because that's home, but they're going to hear about it. And fans are cruel. And, uh, again, like I said, Robin Leonard is somebody who has been very, very open. And to be quite honest, he's somebody who's moved the needle in this, particu- this particular realm. And, um, yeah, man, and now this is the part where we kind of get into some jokes. But similar to what Robin has said in the past, he's not perfect. And this season definitely has shown that. But here's the part where I'm getting a little weirded out, Matt, because this team is showing that they're not perfect. And you've had about a week off, so we're going to start a little out of order, but we're going to start with the record. The team is 28-17-3, 59 points. They're first in the Pacific Division. They're only a point up on Calgary. They're still four points up on Anaheim and, and, and the LA Kings. So if you guys have, are, are at home counting with me, that's now three teams that Vegas has to worry about that are right on their heels. If you guys want those other numbers, they're tied for fourth in the, in the West and they're tied for 11th in the NHL. Matt, make sense of your team, man. We're going to learn a whole bunch Wednesday night, aren't we? Because guess who? Can I extend it? Sure. Friday. We'll learn a lot this week. Yeah. Give him, give him the homestand. I'll give him the homestand. All right, be nice, man. Um, You're a cr- – I can't wait for you to start. I don't know what's been stopping you, and I, I don't typically talk company business on the on the clock, but I don't want to – which is weird, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know what's stopping you from writing this hockey column, but your your stories are, are – what do you, I forgot the way that you word them, but they're either recaps or however you do them. But I, I want to get back to the analytical, Matt, because we only get analytical hockey, Matt, here – Man, you sound off, man. I can't wait for you to start your your, your hockey column. Again, I'm going to preface this again by saying be nice, Matt. Talk to me about the nights. I'll be fair. How about that? I'll meet you in the middle at fair. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> um, I was trying to think of another word, and I couldn't. You, you, I couldn't think of another word that you would agree with. So let's take fair. Okay. Um, I'll start with Calgary, actually. I'll start with the Calgary game. Let's do it. I'll say this about Leonard. Had he played Tuesday night against Edmonton, would have totally understood the performance on Wednesday. Okay, coming off a back-to-back, I get it, tired legs, just not your night. What if I told you Robin Leonard had over a week of rest? Could that work in the opposite way, though? You know I'm here to play devil's advocate. Could it swing the pendulum? Maybe he was cold. Maybe it was, oh, no pun intended, but maybe he was, maybe he was rusty out there. Then why did Lauren Brossois go out and pitch a shutout the night before? Who uh, argue, I'm not him. Who arguably has played a fraction of the games that Robin Leonard has. He's fresher. I'm full of excuses. Huh? I know you are. This is not good. Um, 
it was a it was an interesting road trip. It, it had both extremes somehow mingled in two games. They got a shutout for Lauren Brossois, which now each goalie has one. And then the next night, they are on the other end of a shutout. A, a more lopsided one, too. 6-0. And I remember, going, I remember watching the game with my uncle my dad. I think we went to uh, it was either Buffalo Wild Wings, Twin Peaks, one of those places because we wanted to get together and watch the game. Mm-hmm. I think after it got to 2 or 3-0, I looked at them and said, this is how this is going to go tonight, isn't it? Because it, hmm. that's just how Vegas. I I know it's clicheish, but you know, typically when you're in Vegas, you don't want you want to have a good poker face. Yeah. The Knights don't have a good poker face. You kind of know how the game's going to go pretty early on, for the most part. Outside of a few here and there, that you would be able to go, oh, well, that was a great comeback. Nobody saw that. For the most part, you kind of know how the game's going to go in what? by the time you're done watching that first period. When I saw that at one point in time, Calgary had outshot Vegas 16-4 to in the shots on goal category, that Vegas was not generating any offensive opportunities, that they were seemingly skating a stride behind, and that there were some plays, now granted not all of them and not all goals either, but there were some goals that Robin Leonard looked lost. Like he just, mm-hmm. almost like he didn't even register that the puck was coming to him. Because there were some that, I mean, again, I'm I'm not playing goalie, so I can't necessarily test this for sure. I'm not sure what Robin Leonard saw. But from the replay, it looked like he was either fixated on something else or that he caught the puck so last minute that it, it kind of looked like it may have been, for lack of a better term, you, you know, a half-assed effort. You can't defend a half-assed effort. I don't know if this is me defending this first thing, but I do want to kind of highlight it. You said it seemed like his mind was elsewhere. I have been going on the record, and this is before you joined the team, but I have gone on the record and said, similar to what I actually opened this up by saying, with everything that he's been open and honest with and, and extremely commendable with, then he's done things like show up early to a playoff game and after pitching or after yeah after going out there and pitching a shutout he'll say yeah I showed up early to read the the shit talkers on Twitter Robin why would you do that And my only thing is too I even went to his defense and said actually why would you tell us right I'm arrogant too sometimes you do want to read that stuff to be like oh yeah Word? That's how you feel about me? I wouldn't tell anybody. Especially when I've already let you guys know that I'm bothered by certain stuff like that. So it forces me to think about those moments when you say what you said. I've mentioned it before. We can see, especially when we know a sport, we can speak. We can see when a player is in their own head. This is not only your team, this is your sport. You should be able to call it. Is that what it is? Do you feel like Robin Leonard, especially at this point in the season, he's in his own head? Could very well be, which is explainable and it's understandable. That's troublesome. It's also that, but trying to somehow give Robin Leonard the benefit of the doubt, you know, it's very possible that, yes, he's, you know, going through going, going through it at the moment. You know, there's times that he's not and there's times that he is. 
And, you know, it just makes you wonder that it's a dangerous line that you skate with Robin Leonard because when he's in his zone and he's not distracted by anything, he's a good goalie. But when he's got a wandering mind and he's thinking about other things and maybe he's got, you know, some personal issues going on during that time that, you know, obviously he's still got the ongoing battle with the the mental health issues when that, you know, flares back up or whatever the case may be. We kind of see the repercussions on the ice. We we, we kind of look at 6-0 and we go, yeah, that, that's, about, that's about right. And, and interestingly enough, because I, I do feel – <laughs> that while nobody's talking about Robin Leonard as a as a knight for life at this present moment, uh, I do just want to let Vegas fans know. I, I don't know if you guys know how sports work, but Robin Leonard is probably going to go somewhere. I'm not saying next season, but his first chance to go somewhere, he's going to look like Robin Leonard for the bubble for a little bit. It's just the way sports work. Okay. He's probably going to leave, and he's going to look outstanding for a little bit. That is the way that sports work. Um, they do have a game against Colorado coming up Wednesday, almost at tomorrow. And Matt and I need to figure out what we're doing. <laughs> Cause I work Wednesday night, um, not until, you know, after the game, so I should be able to do it. So I should be able to pull double duty in these two games that we're actually about to talk about with this women's game, uh, and this men's game, both at UNO both UNOV games. I should be able to pull double duty if that's the case then you'll probably be at the T-Mobile Arena. And if you're not at the T-Mobile Arena, I'm pretty sure that you'll be at the Cox Pavilion. Bro, you already but, know. Come on now. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get to these. But if he is at the T-Mobile Arena, he will be watching the, the Vegas Golden Knights take on Dunas. Yes, I said Dunas. Dunas, Colorado Avalanche. Again, that will be Wednesday, February 16th, 7 p.m. That will be the first of back-to-back home games. That second home game will be on Friday against the Los Angeles Kings. That's the one, man. I hate to say it, they they can't really lose on Wednesday, but if they were to lose on Wednesday, Friday, not I don't know if we talked about measuring stick games and all these different things. I'm going to try to eliminate all those little sports jargon. Damn. And it came back as a sports jargon, as, as another sports jargon word, but it's a must win. Friday, it, it's in the end, it needs to be a statement win. I'd label both games. They have to. Guess who makes his debut Wednesday? What am I missing? Jack Eichel's oh, in the lineup. Oh, I was about to say Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel makes his debut Wednesday night against Colorado. <sighs> Let's be honest. He hasn't played in so long, and here's the reason why it probably slipped my mind. How much are you expecting him to play? <laughs> Given the Knights' death, he might play more than we expect. Really? I mean, you still have Stone that's on IR. Right. The It's been pretty much no secret that the Golden Knights have struggled with roster depth for quite some time. <laughs> it may be like one of those situations where it's like, cool, you're back and all. We really need the bodies. So you're going to have to play probably more than you expect, right? especially right away. And against Colorado, a game that... I think I may have even said it last week when we were previewing the game. Mm-hmm. For one, I do think the game's high scoring. 4-3, 5-2, either way. 
I th- or yeah, four three five two. I'm making sure I'm not getting the numbers mixed. No, you're good. Yeah, four three five two, something like that. You wouldn't give me a which way. I still don't know if I know which way. This is the last chance you had to talk to the people. Well, not really. You could tweet about it. <laughs> I could tweet about it. Um, <laughs> early lean is the Knights because of Eichel. The team will be ju- the team will be juiced to have Eichel in the lineup. That scares me then because I, I'm worried. I, I, I don't think they get both of these games on the homestand. So I, my 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 argument would be that they need to get Friday. So that would mean by default that Wednesday they fall short. Reasonably speaking, yeah. If you, if you told me they're going to lose one of these two, I'd probably point to Wednesdays. I can't see how they're losing to the Kings. I've said this before about even though they've done it already. Yeah, exactly. I've said this before about, you know, Golden Knights games when they're playing teams like the Colorado, or not Colorado, but like the Arizona Coyotes, rather, in the past, they can't lose to the, this team. Absolutely. And they go ahead and they, they, they've done it before. So I think anything is possible mm-hmm. in the NHL, but... The Ducks yeah. have been up and down this season, but the Knights lost to the Ducks when they were on a downswing. Anything can happen. And reasonably speaking, I, I do think... The Knights have a better chance of beating the Kings than they do the Avs, but we might see maybe the Knights put their fork in the ground and say, we're past the All-Star break now. Mm-hmm. We we really got to start putting it together. All right, man, before I get your opinion on this UNLV stuff, I need to know real quick, Yep. what happens if they lose both? You're going to have an interesting show on Monday. Very interesting show. Oh, jeez. I'm not even going to lie to you. How many times have I hit the panic button this year? Three? At least a few, yeah. You probably you think I hit it again I think, on Monday if they lose both. I think your your hand would be glued to the panic button if that happens. It won't even come off; it'll just stay. The, if, that, if that happens, then I would have to hop in your boat about the Knights not making the postseason because I know a lot of people. And this is why I keep giving these numbers. When I give these numbers about tie for fourth in the West, tie for eleventh in the NHL, there are there may be some Knights fans at home that, like you said, they get excited about it. But the numbers that you should be more uh, more interested about is that they're a point ahead of Cal- of Calgary and four points ahead of LA or uh, and Anaheim rather. So when I look at these teams, and again, I haven't been following the uh, the Kings as close. I haven't been following the claim the, the excuse me the Flames as close. I have been following the Ducks a little bit. Because, obviously, I told you guys that was my first team, Anaheim Mighty Ducks, the Mighty Duck, the cartoon, why not? But um, I have been following the Ducks a little bit. And just from those two teams, if I had to tell you which team I have more, and I know this may sound shocking, which team I have more trust in in terms of down the stretch, I think I would trust the Ducks mainly because the Knights have more pressure. I don't disagree. Maybe it has nothing to do with them being a better team, especially we know on the roster, or on paper rather, they probably aren't a better team. But I, I, that's the team I trust more at this present moment. All right, man. Uh, I guess technically, mine's is first. Technically, in terms of this UNLV men's game, this game at Boise State, it was a six-point loss, sixty-nine to sixty-three. For for whatever it's worth, UNLV has now lost two games in their last three. They haven't beaten Boise since the 2019-20 season. They haven't beaten Boise in Boise since the 2018-19 season. Why does that trouble me? Because of the rest of their schedule. You gave me an answer that I wasn't expecting. Okay, you gave me something different to chew on. Um, 
Mm. First thing that came to my mind, rather, was maybe you're, maybe this is maybe this kind of is the same thing that you were saying. Tell, tell me if tell me if I'm in your your lane of thinking, rather. The reason why that was so troublesome to me was it's not the first time I've had to write one of these stats this season. Like it's it's Air Force, their struggles at Air Force, or it would be their struggles at UNR, or just certain things like that. And I think now we get down to the trickle down effect of season after season after season, and I think we've done a pretty good job of avoiding this question because I feel like anytime I listen to Las Vegas radio sometime when UNLV comes up, there's always, what's wrong with the Rebels? What's wrong with the Rebels? What's wrong with the Rebels? And I think we've done this radio show for at least four years here in Vegas, and I probably could count the times we've really asked what's wrong with Vegas. We 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 approached our analysis in a different realm. But following this loss, Matt, I'm here to be generic, man. What's wrong with the Rebels? It's a great question. And I think it's a question that I, it doesn't make sense. This, and when I mean when I say it doesn't make sense, on paper, with a healthy roster, I can't see how this team hasn't won or is projected at least to win twenty games this year. You get all these transfers, you get them all from, for the most part, Power Five conferences. Definitely. So you're bringing them down to a Group of Five conference against teams that aren't as good as what they've gone up against in, pa- in the past. Sure, you might have a few games here and there where they don't gel as well, but by now th- that should be taken care of. And now you should be clicking and having chemistry. I was going through today. I don't know how this team isn't 20-4 and four right now. You know me. They've had six games I can point to and say they were in position to win, and they didn't. Can you give me a couple? Wichita State. Fresno State. Utah State. That's three. Uh, San Diego State at home. That's four. Uh, there was a close loss in there somewhere. Oh, Boise. Boise. This one, you're absolutely right. What are we at, five? Five. I really like the fact you brought Wichita State because that if I know if we – Utah State probably stings a little bit, but they were on the run, so I, I or on a roll, so I'll let that one go. But out of the ones that you just mentioned, I truthfully think that that Wichita State one, that one might sting the most. They were right there. They were leading in the final possession. Fresno State should hurt too a little bit. Yeah, that's the issue. Is that's the issue? That's probably the problem. Um, but I, I like your your answer rather to what's changed. I do want to give you a little pushback on the notion of why this team would win 20, 20 games because for whatever it's worth, we saw a Marvin Menzies – false parallel. But we saw a, farce, a, a, a Marvin Menzies-led team uh, – what did they what did they go, 20 and 11? 20 yeah. and 11 that year? Um, I don't know that, that's, that that was out of the realm for this team. I think, similar to what you just said, they could lose 11 games but lose all the big ones. So I can see two losses to Boise in there, a loss to Colorado State, uh, a loss to UCLA, a loss, uh, or both to San Diego State. I can see that kind of getting to 11. You probably got to win Wichita State. But I, I could kind of see that only because, I mean, for whatever it's worth, and I, I'm, I got some pleas and I'm about to cop. I got some apologies to make. But you probably you might know where I'm going. But Royce is – Royce Ham Jr., in case you guys are unfamiliar, is – 
one of the best rebounders, not in the big in the in the mount almost at the big west. Not in the uh Mountain West. He's one of the best rebounders in the country. <laughs> like, and this is where I have to go ahead and apologize. I understand he hasn't been playing, but with what Bryce Hamilton has been able to do over the last month, I apologize for even considering that the ball should have been in somebody else's hand. Because this team does go as as he goes. And I've known that for quite some time. But I was trying to give, for whatever it's worth, I think it's easy. It, it, it was still kind of a credit to him because it takes less to get him started, in my opinion. He's a scorer. He's going to score at some point. And I, I think that's why you kind of want to force somebody else to get going. Because maybe they won't have it on a night where you know that Bryce at some point is going to give it to you. We've seen Bryce go two for seven in first halves in the night with 30. How? Like, what did you? What happened? So, I the the, the more that he goes off scoring wise, the more wild I look by saying that Donovan Williams should have the should probably be the one with the ball in his hands. Um, but nevertheless, this this team is currently 14, 11, 14 and eleven overall. They're six and six in the Mountain West. They are sixth currently in the standings in the Mountain West. They would play number eleven, so they would get probably New Mexico. Somewhere around there. So, that's what it would be right now. They are four and a half games behind first place. I don't think they get the first place. I don't think they get the second place. I don't think they get the third place. I'll go out on the limb. I don't think they get the fourth. You want to hear a crazy prediction? What, they dropped to eighth? (laughs) This team will finish under 500 for the regular season. I'm sorry, do you want to repeat that? The 14-11 UNLV running Rebels will finish below 500 for the regular season. Meaning they will win one more game. At most. Go ahead and call them out, man. Who's the last who, Who's the last win against? New Mexico. Last <laughs> game of the regular season. So you think that they're going to lose? They already lost to Boise State. So let's talk about this next game. This next game is at Fresno State. That's the game that I guess I got to cover. Uh, that is a Wednesday game. February uh, 16th, rather, 7.30 p.m. tip-off. This team is currently 2-6 and six away from Las Vegas. Uh, yeah, 2-6 away from Las Vegas. I had to, almost had away from the Cox, uh, away from the Thomas and Mack, but no, it's away from Las Vegas. If Matt is right in terms of what he's saying, that means that they would have had lost to Boise State, which they already have. That means they will lose on Wednesday. Yep. That means that they will lose when Colorado State comes to town. Yep. They will lose when they go up north to battle UNR. Yep. They would lose when they woke them in Boise State. Yep. And they would lose when they woke them in the presently number 22 team in the country in Wyoming, which I believe they're going to lose that game as well. That would mean that UNLV would be on a six-game losing streak, which would be their longest of the season. Up until they get to New Mexico. And then if they win that, then they would end that streak going into the conference tournament, obviously. And they would end the season 15-16. and 16. Is it out of the question? Not at all. Yeah. Is it out of the question? No. Ugh, do I want it to happen? No. Uh, well, of course, nobody <laughs> wants it to happen. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not proud. I'm not proud. Like somebody that's been born and raised here, I'm not proud to say like, oh yeah, they're going to finish below 500. But the realistic gene is knocking at the door saying, 
So who you really want to give them a chance against? And that's where we're about to go. Colorado State remembers that 45 that Bryce, that Bryce hung on him. You better believe they do. I don't know that it matters. I said in the beginning of the year that they would lose both games to Colorado State. That game at Colorado State, it was what it was. But I want to talk about the now. That gave everybody confidence on UNLV's roster. So I don't know that Jordan – maybe Bryce doesn't go out and have 45. Maybe Bryce goes out and doesn't even have 20 against Colorado State the next game. Maybe Jordan McCabe has 12. Maybe Mike Nuka has 10. Maybe Webster comes in and gives you 11. If that happens, UNLV wins. I still, don't, I still don't see it. And then the only other game that I would try to give them, and I just said that they have woes up there, but it's at UNR. So the other one, man. And and honestly, if I wanted to be talked out of the Colorado State, maybe I could. But they, I said it before, they have to sweep UNR, right? They have to. They have to. They have to. UNR also got a lot of their key pieces back in the lineup. Yeah, and, and they're scoring they, a lot. They picked, they, since they played us here at Thomas and Mac, they have picked up the production heavily. Just beat Utah State? Yeah. That's why I'm worried. If they go 15 and 16, where do they end up in this conference? Um, given who they're playing, my guess is probably eighth. Eight versus nine, they would get you in Oregon. Remember when I said it wouldn't shock me if this team doesn't even make it to the quarterfinal? Ta-da. This is interesting. Oh, man, UNLV seeding. Well, I can tell you about another team that's not worried about their seeding at this present moment. Not one bit. Not even a little bit. Um, Matt, this is yours, man. This women's team, this latest game against San Diego State, let me just tell you guys how warped my brain is. because This is why I feel like I would be a pretty decent coach. I don't think I would be a perfect coach, but why I think I would be a pretty decent coach because uh, sometimes you just can't not watch film if it makes sense and i I, matt always does this and shout out to matt he um we we share this beat obviously and he 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 does a good job of checking the schedule way beforehand and he'll let me know hey this is coming up do you want me to take this game and he let me know that this game was coming up obviously and i told him i should be fine as long as i get some rest because i had an overnight security shift i said as long as i get some rest i'll be fine and i was at work it's not even been a day before work, and I think I texted you and I said the game is at two. I didn't know that it was at two. <laughs> I was like, so I thought it was a four o'clock game. I was like, so I may need you. I may actually need you. And you were like, fam, I'm going to the game. Don't worry about it. No sweat. I get home at six. Well, I'm off at six, so I get home a little after six. Typical, typical night when you get off of work, right? Mm-hmm. Except mine's is different. It's the day. Nobody gets straight off of work and goes to sleep. I, don't, I think you're a psychopath if you do that. I do. So you get home, you got to unwind. You got to, I don't know whether you take a couple shots of something or whether you just watch a TV show, take your hot shower. Whatever you do to unwind is what you do to unwind. I unwind. Fam, I promise you, I look up, it was 11 o'clock. I said, there's no reason to go to sleep. So up until 12, I don't know when I text you just to tell you again, like, yeah, just to double check, you do got this game. But up until 12, I didn't know that I wasn't going to the game. It was 12 o'clock, and I was like, you've been up for about 21 hours at this present moment. Do you want to stay up? Two o'clock hit. I'm at like 23 hours. 
I watched the game. Matt, I fall asleep with three minutes left. Talk to me, Matt. Uh, well, I mean, I guess as a side note, uh, Lindy did kind of make a joke. She's like, oh, yeah, tell T we didn't miss him all that much. Hey, Lindy, you better miss me. How dare you? <laughs> um, but, I mean, a pretty pretty happy Lindy LaRock for the most part. Pretty, okay. pretty happy Essence Booker, as in welcome back home Essence Booker. Uh, she had a struggling road trip, and uh, she she needed some home cooking. We Our text messages should be put in museums. They really should. I really think they should. Because I, I when Essence was, I, I forget what point of the game this was. It may have been right after the halftime buzzer beater, or it may have been after the third quarter buzzer beater, from es- both from Essence. I texted Terrell, and I said, about Essence? Yeah, she just needed some home cooking. She's fine now. Um, and she was. She was shooting the ball well. 8 of 15 from the field. 3 of 5 from 3. And really, I mean, the fourth quarter is where really the, this team started moving ahead a little bit and really started to flex her muscle in a sense on San Diego State because for the most part, San Diego State was right there with UNLV. It was a game of runs where – the Lady Rebels would go up by six, and then you'd have San Diego State respond back with a 7-0 run of their own. And that's kind of just how the game was going. And they got to the fourth quarter, and it felt like San Diego State was running more so out of gas. And UNLV was able to maintain, and they were able to withstand. And they got some key production from Essence Booker. I thought between her and uh, Neka Obi-Izor, Obi- mm-hmm. uh, Desiree Young, even though she was going through – Probably one of the, I guess, more rough games, if you will. Not physicality, but she was battling a lot of um, travel calls. She got called for, I thought, a lot of more so than normal uh, travels where she's trying to you know, do moves in the paint and all that, and the rest weren't having it. Um, so, But even still, she found ways to be productive in the offense. So really, you look at those three players – that was kind of the leading charge for the Lady Rebels. And my only question for you was when you mentioned the game of back and forth runs, I noticed that as well. And um, what was interesting to me was it appeared, and I could be wrong because I wasn't there, it appeared that the building looked just as packed as it did. Not just as packed, but maybe close as just as packed as it did for the New Mexico game. Is it safe to say that the Lady Rebels have caught the eyes of the Lowe's? I'm going to steal a quote that Lindy gave me after the game. It's hard to keep this team quiet. It's really hard to keep this team quiet. And I think she's 110% right when she speaks about this. You know, she she credited, you know, them being active in the community, going out to the different schools and, you know, really showing that they they support the community and it feels like the community has shown that same love back in return. And really, the last three home games, there's been notable energy in the building. There's There was definitely notable energy for New Mexico. There was a pretty good amount of energy even for Air Force and even San Diego State. And I'm here to say that the team notices. You know. How do you know that? I asked Lindy directly. Oh. I said, I like, I like I like answers like that. It's like, fam, I'm not just pulling from osmosis. I, t- I asked. I asked. I said, you know, past few games seems, at least to me, it seemed like the the energy maybe a little bit more so than where we started at maybe the first home game of the season. 
you know, is anything to note there? And she's like, yeah, we had a great crowd for New Mexico. Pretty good crowd for Air Force and good crowd today. The team loves playing in front of the big crowds. It, it feeds, we we're able to feed off that energy and, you know, we're gonna obviously going to need them this coming week for two more home games against Fresno and San Jose State. But the team is definitely taking note that the building is becoming a little more consistently filled. The energy is there. And I think the team mimics the energy and, you know, vice versa. It, it feels like that even more people should be paying attention to this team than, than they already are. And I'm happy that you say more people should be paying attention to the scene because now we're at the point to where we're here in Vegas and no disrespect to New Mexico, but yeah, with all due respect to the Mountain West, this is what happens when you're in first place. But now we're, we're here in Vegas and we're kind of just waiting to wake up and hear that UNLV is getting first place or getting um, AP votes. And, and we're waiting for that day. And to be quite honest, Lindy told me after the following, well, the, what was it, the last game that uh, I actually covered? Um, she mentioned to me, she said, and I was at Boise. She said that at the end of the day, you keep winning. You keep winning, and things take care of themselves. Like she said, I think I gave her the stat of um, what was the what was the crazy stat that we had earlier this year about Lindy's teams? Um, it may have been like by wins by double digits or something like that, and. I told you Lindy even said it. She was like, wow, I, I didn't know that's that. That's pretty cool. But she said it that exact moment, and she said it again this time. She said, you win, and those things take care of themselves. You'll set all the records that you want to set. You'll break all the records that you want to break if you do what you're supposed to do. And I, I don't know if you've mentioned it, but I think we've done a pretty good job in terms of reporting, especially if you know you're going to be embedded with a team. You don't want to sound off too early. And I don't know if you ever if you've asked her a question this season about being uh, ranked, but I kind of know what her answer is going to be. Keep winning, and those things take care of themselves. So I think we're nearing one of those points, though, where it's not a question of how do you guys deal with you know what I mean, not being ranked. How do you guys deal with not being ranked? It's probably going to change to how does it feel to be ranked. So you just talked about their next game. Their next game is Equality and Inclusion Night, and that is again Wednesday. This particular game is at. Did I get that correct? Is that 2 p.m.? No. It's Wednesday night. Oh, I say it's a Wednesday night game. 6.30, I believe, is the start time. Yeah, something's not right. That's it, why I was like, I didn't I mean, put, that's not right. I mean, shoot, if it's 2 p.m. <laughs> we, we can do all of it. Right. <laughs> all right, it's 6.30. That's yeah, what I thought. 6.30. Something wasn't right. I was like, fam, 6.30, or, that, or what's it called? Um, 2 o'clock didn't sound right. But, again, when you mention that they like to play in front of a big crowd, first of all, the crowd is only going to get bigger because the Mountain West tournament is getting ready to start. But let's, let's talk about certain people. You talked about Essence, and I told you guys the one thing I love about Essence, I, I'm truthfully speaking, I'm happy that I'm kind of in the same boat as, as Coach Lindy because I am shocked when Essence struggles. I think Essence gives me, and I keep saying it, she gives me Chris Paul vibes. Chris Paul typically doesn't struggle. Chris Paul will have a game where he'll go two of eight. That's his definition of struggling. He'll stop shooting. Like, I'll get my points elsewhere. Either I'll feed somebody else to get the points. But she always struck me as a big-time player, a big-game player. And, I mean, Desi, at, at, as a sophomore, I'm not even sure how, how old Desiree is. I'm not even sure if she's 21 yet. But she's running out of room on her mantle. She's a sophomore. And she has some of her bigger games 
in bigger games. So, again, I'm excited to see where she's going with this. And by the way, if we're just fast forwarding to, well, I guess we got to rerun a fast forward, but if we're just uh, rewinding a little bit too fast forward and see what the future has for us, I think Desi was held to single digits in both games against UNR last season. So it shows you guys how she does with him. I think I, I, I think the Chris Paul comparison is perfect for Essence. Good. Be- I've had people look at me like I was crazy. No, and I say that primarily because of the response I got after the game on Saturday where she le- leads the team in scoring and she you know, has ca- probably by her own standards a quote-unquote bounce-back game from the road trip. And I asked her, I was like, you know, what was the deal today? Just, you know, home cooking, back in a familiar place, change of routine, anything like that? She's like, honestly, I mean, yeah, it was a, it was a good game for myself, but that doesn't happen without the team. You know, it's honestly, a leader. as long as the team's around me, the, the shots are going to fall anyway. And when I heard that, I, I thought upperclassmen, leadership, point guard, all makes sense. And so when you mentioned Chris Paul, I, I think that's the probably the spot-on comparison because rather uh, there would be some people that would be like, yeah, you know, it was a great game for myself, and they, they kind of go into the game how they saw it in their own eyes, but Essence was very quick to credit the team. And it w- may have been within the first sentence, which, I I mean, I, I, I couldn't – with an answer like that, because I – be honest i wasn't expecting her to be like yeah it was a good team performance i was expecting her to kind of go through what she saw didn't see even the recent struggles yeah i was just like yeah i ain't got no follow-up for that 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 shocked me and i mean i'm i'm actually with that one i I actually think that that's a perfect way to kind of end i don't want to say the end of the show but in our analysis so far of of the show uh my dad's tip in is next and I, i read elon's must elon Musk's name in it so i have no idea what's coming up with this tip in Let's see what happens. <laughs> My dad said, today I just so happened to read what, to me, sounds like one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. This just goes to show that some people just have too much time and money on their hands, and I guess they're running out of good ideas. Case in point. <laughs> I don't know why case in point is funny to me. That is funny to me. When a person says that because it's not, he's telling you, he, I'm about to make the case, and you're about to agree with it. That's the funny part, in case in point. Anyway, case in point, it appears that four years ago, Elon Musk launched something into space. Nope, not a satellite. Nope. Or excuse me, not a, not a, a camera to explore a distant planet, solar system, or space. Or space anomaly, rather. He said, nope, not a spacewalk. <laughs> or a search for some form of life out there in a faraway galaxy. But instead... Four years ago this week, Elon Musk, Elon Musk used the most powerful operational rocket in the world, SpaceX's Falcon Heavy, on its inaugural launch from Florida with this, with this payload being nothing else than Elon's personal Tesla Roadster. So now we have a cherry red sports car, which is occupied by a spacesuit class. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. So now we have a cherry red sports car which is occupied by a spacesuit-clad mannequin nicknamed Starman just floating around in space. Now, 
Not only do we have to worry about satellites and, or meteors crashing down to Earth, now we have to worry about cars with crash test dummies in them just cruising aimlessly in space. Musk explains it by saying that it is a test launch and that they needed a dummy payload, so he decided to make the silliest thing that he could think of. Mission accomplished, Mr. Musk. Anything, anytime you got Elon Musk in the conversation... Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to end the pod. I mean, end the radio show on this because it's not even a podcast topic. But Elon's name has been brought up recently for nothing good. No. So again, this is where I don't know. I don't. I don't like when people try to take the 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 moment to steer it towards something else now i say all of that to say wrong is wrong so a lot of this could be from joe rogan and the fact that joe rogan is really good friends with elon musk but there have been a lot of stories about some some racist habits in the tesla warehouse and and in the tesla corporate ranks to the point to where racial slurs are heard on the daily I don't know Elon Musk. I'm not saying Elon Musk is a racist. All I'm saying is, does Elon Musk not strike you as the guy that will call you a racist, a racist slur? Oh, excuse me, a racial slur to your face because he felt like he could. I'm gonna leave it at that. Until next time, guys. Keep on talking. <laughs>